Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Um, I know a lot of you, I've actually gotten tweets, I've gotten some people asking about our post-game podcast from Monday Night Football, where the Browns lose to the Steelers. This is it. Uh, Dan Lobby here with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We were in the press box late, early into the morning, I guess, is, is how we should say it. So uh, we just didn't have time to do a, a good post-game pod, so we're going to circle back and do that here today. We're going to going to kind of talk about the three big things we took away from the game each offer up some final thoughts here at the end so uh browns losers on monday night football to the steelers we've heard from kevin stefanski today as well so we can kind of push this forward a little bit too which is good uh so mary Kay, why don't you start us off with uh kind of our first big thing from monday night's game well i'm gonna go with the biggest thing from monday night's game and that is of course losing nick chubb to a season injuring ending knee injury. He suffered multiple torn ligaments. He will undergo surgery sometime soon. Uh, You know, Kevin Stefanski today, you know, made it sound like he's going to try to come back and bounce back. He talked to him today. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. But this is the second major blowout of that left knee. The first one happened when he was at Georgia and he made his way back from that, became one of the best running backs in the NFL. So you can never count out Nick Chubb. But it is time for the Browns to start thinking ahead and making contingency plans for what they're going to do. First of all, uh, they've got Jerome Ford as their number two, and he did a really nice job in the game, I thought, especially considering that he um, missed most of training camp with a hamstring. But we're going to get into that a little bit more in a couple of minutes. Um, In the meantime, even though Kevin basically declared him as the number one back now, uh, the Browns are still going to try to fortify the room. And I've been doing some due diligence of my own today, digging around a little bit, and uh, was able to, to come up with the fact that they have inquired about Cam Akers, the Rams running back, who is on the trading block. Sean McVay made it very clear today that he is not coming back. He was a healthy scratch in this past game, and, and he's he's done. And they have had inquiries from probably at least half a dozen teams by now. So he is someone uh, to keep an eye on. He's only 24 years old. Last year, he rushed for 786 yards and seven touchdowns. If they could get that kind of production out of Cam Akers, I think they'd be really, really, really happy with that. So he's one guy. And then um, an old friend in Kareem Hunt. I mean, he is out there. He's available. You wouldn't have to give up any draft capital for him. It would just be with him a matter of compensation and trying to figure out how much you wanted to sign him for and what kind of an incentive package you would want to give him or whatever the case may be. Um, He knows the system very well, of course, inside and out. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, which is important in this offense. And, um, and, you know, he could he could kind of fit in here seamlessly. Now, last year, the Browns thought that he kind of, you know, wasn't hitting the holes as fast as they needed him to. So he would have to bring the juice. He'd have to bring the fire a little bit. Um, but in terms of getting some of those really tough yards, maybe on the goal line and, and elsewhere, you know, he can come in and do that for you as well as pick up the blitz and catch the ball out of the backfield. So they have some options. They're exploring all of them. And... Who knows? Maybe even before they face the Titans on Sunday, they could have someone else in their running back room. So I I have some Jerome Ford thoughts. Like Mary Kay said, we'll, we'll kind of hold on to those for a second. But 
Ashley, um, when, when you hear Kareem Hunt, I mean, that does make a lot of sense for a lot of the points Mary Kay made. Knows the system, knows the coaching staff, knows what he needs to do. It would be essentially the same role he had last year. I don't know what Kareem has left. I kind of agree that he looked a little bit slower last year. Uh, you know, watching him in the spring, it kind of seemed like he was a little bit out of shape. And then, of course, there was the trade stuff and training camp. So maybe a little desperation kind of wanting to keep that career going is all the motivation he needs. But, but I think both of those names are, are very interesting names for this team for the role that they need. Yeah. And I think like they're two very different things, right? Like Kareem hunt to me is like this short term solution, which maybe that's all the Browns need for this year. And Cam Akers is obviously younger, like has a bit more, I think going for him than Kareem considering Kareem still doesn't have a team, but Mary Kay, I know you talk about this and it's like sometimes when even though, even though things haven't aligned for Kareem Hunt here yet, it's like sometimes when a team has somebody, a very significant player, deal with a season-ending injury like this one, I know it can change your perspective on a player, even though that player's circumstances haven't changed. So maybe that is going to become suddenly what they really value, and this is why we always say never say never in the NFL, because these things do happen. Okay, I, I want to go back to last night, though. Um, I I just think, like, you know, look, we were all there. We were all in Pittsburgh. We all kind of got a feel for what it was like after that game. So, Ashley, I'll start with you. Um, you and I both went into the locker room, like, immediately after uh, while Kevin was talking and um, Miles went into the, the podium. So we were both in there. We talked to, like, Joel right away. You could feel it like we've all heard players talk about injuries and they all do the next man up thing. And, you know, they, they all say the same things. Right. This just this was different. This just felt so different. The way the guys talked about Nick Chubb. I, I think this really weighed on players even more than other injuries maybe have. Yeah, I've never seen this team react like this in my few years of covering the team, like to anything. And even last year, you know, when AWOC got hurt, and that was a not as gruesome of an injury outwardly as Nick Chubbs was, uh, but it was still pretty bad, and he had to be carted off, and he was crying, and multiple guys were visibly emotional, like players in the locker room after, like, talked about the next man up stuff, but they also talked about how it was, like, breathtaking and, and all these other, you know, kind of descriptors that they use. But last night, it's like guys were physically like getting choked up like you can see it I don't think I've ever seen Joel Batonio get emotional like that to the point that he had to pause and like collect himself um especially at the beginning when we started talking to him I know Deshaun Watson when he went up to the podium it was the same thing like I think with Nick Chubb and you kind of kept hearing similar sentiments from guys but it's like this is a player who does everything that like you're supposed to do he's one of like the most low-key players who just wants to go about his business do his work, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and it's, I think, when a player like that goes down, who's like a heart and soul of the team, too, it's just difficult on these guys. Like, they are humans at the end of the day, even though I think they're so good at compartmentalizing when these injuries happen. I think some injuries, some players just kind of transcend that. And I do think it's going to be harder than most injuries for them as a group to get over this. You know, Mary Kay, I think the thing is, um, and look, these injuries impact guys all the time. And, um, you know, like I'm sure if we would have gone around to the offensive line room after Jack Conklin's injury, we would have heard a lot of some similar sentiment sentiments. But this really was just like locker room wide. And I think a big part of it that, that I found interesting was 
I think the fact that Nick Chubb was down and got hurt, even though this has happened to him before, it just seemed so unfathomable to so many of these players. Like, there's no way that's number 24 on the field, and there's no way that he's getting carted off. I mean, Juan Thornhill even, I asked him, like, don't, didn't you think Nick Chubb was invincible? And he's like, yeah, you do. You think Nick Chubb is just invincible. And I, I think that was part of it, too. There was just this shock that this guy who's come to kind of represent everything that's good about this team, and I think a lot of teammates kind of embrace who he is, to see him down on the ground, it really did affect them. It really did. I mean, there haven't been many times in my long, long career of covering the Cleveland Browns that I have seen that many guys get that emotional after a player gets hurt like that. I mean, it was really something to watch these guys stand up there, have to compose themselves, be coming to tears, welling up, and all the things that we saw. And then another thing is when I when I got a chance to uh, ask Greg Newsom about Nick Chubb, I mean, he just, he point blank stated that, you know, we are dedicating the season to Nick Chubb. Every practice that we go out to do, every game that we play, it's all about Nick Chubb. And I just, I thought that really, that really said something to me because I haven't really, uh, you know, had too many times. I can't even remember if there was another time in my career where players dedicated the entire season to a fallen player. I'm trying to think, and, you know, I, I suppose there could be one somewhere along the line. Um, you know, maybe when Joe Thomas went down uh, and he was done for the season, you know, they might've dedicated the rest of their season to him because that is the same magnitude of losing Nick Chubb. It really is. It's just like the heart and soul of the team, the face of the franchise type of guy. Um, so it was, it was very powerful to see how this impacted the players. I mean, Deshaun Watson stood up at the podium and had to compose himself before he talked. Um, you know, you mentioned Joel there, you know, there were other guys that were reacting just like that. And it was, uh, again, it was very, very powerful to see it. And it speaks to, uh, the teammate, the teammate that Nick Chubb is, um, Having said that, however, the more I've thought about this, and I will get into this a little bit more later too, um, I, you know, I, I think they're going to be okay in the running game. I, I really do. I think they're going to be okay in the running game for a lot of reasons, and I will share those a little bit later. Uh, but I don't think this is the catastrophe that it really seemed to be last night when it first happened. Okay, so let's move on to to that part of it, Ashley. What is uh, what's your big thing from from last night moving into today? Yeah, so I mean, I really think, and, and Kevin Stefanski basically confirmed it today. Not basically, he did say that Jerome Ford is going to be their featured back. That that's what they're planning for, kind of regardless on who else they may bring in as an organization. And you know, Dan, we talked to Jerome last night at his locker, and I thought this was like maybe one of the longest interviews that we've had with Jerome Ford because much like Nick Chubb, he's not like the most talkative guy. Um, but it was interesting, like hearing like in all the lead up to this season, um, especially before the Bengals game, like when we talked to Bubba Ventrone in his weekly press conference, like he brought up, he does this thing on Fridays where he shows high school tape of one special teams player. And it's like a, a bonding thing. And he's brought up twice now that the best high school film he's ever seen. And he's done this for the last like six years is Jerome Ford's. And I think Zan, like we pulled it up and you kind of see how 
elusive and special of a runner he was even back then. And I led with that in my story because it's like what they're going to need from him now on a, in a larger dose. And he talks a lot and he's talked a lot about this in the lead up to the season too. Jerome has about how much he's learned from Nick Chubb. And and we've wondered like what exactly he means by that about like being a pro and, and learning how to be in the NFL and things like that. Um, he called Nick his big brother last night and, and that, you know, he's so much more to him and to this team than just football, but he really has to use everything. I think that he's learned from Nick and like how to go about the day-to-day grind of the NFL to do this. And I, I do think it means some questions. I mean, the biggest thought that I had last night is how is this going to impact them on special teams and the return game? Because like, it's one thing if you're going to have Jerome Ford be like, your number one kick returner when he's the number two back behind Nick Chubb. But it's another thing when he's suddenly your featured back. So I don't know what it means for that, but it's undeniable that he has this much larger opportunity in front of him. And it's a chance to kind of show what this last year plus of working with Nick Chubb has done for him. Okay. So I thought last night Nick Chubb was working on a, like an all time Nick Chubb game like 10 carries 64 yards I was thinking about that like that first quarter was pure chaos and it was was like an hour long and it was awful but when it felt the most normal it was when they turned and handed the ball to Nick Chubb so listen Nick Chubb is a special talent and there's only a handful of guys in the NFL that can do what he does right we're talking Derrick Henry Jonathan Taylor like when it just comes to running the football there's only a handful of guys that can do what Nick Chubb does. But Mary Kay, you wanted to make this point. It doesn't mean that you can't run the ball now just because you don't have Nick Chubb. And of course, a lot of that is going to rest on kind of what Jerome Ford can be in this role where he might have to get 15 to 20 carries a game now. Yeah, I feel very strongly about this. And I've long felt this way about the uh, the Cleveland Browns running game. They're built to run the football. This offensive line is built to run the ball. And I think, you, you know, you're not going to plug a lot of backs in and get a Nick Chubb performance, but you can put a really good back behind this amazing offensive line and have him churn out over 100 yards for you. We've seen it happen Several times we saw Dearness Johnson do it. Last night, we saw Jerome Ford do it. He rushed for 106 yards on 16 carries. He ripped off a 69-yard Nick Chubb-like cutback run. And he's got excellent speed. His vision seems to be really good. Now, I do think that um, if Cam Hayward had been in the game, it would have been a, a different running performance perhaps that that's that that's their number one run stopper cam hayward and you know you're going to really suffer when that guy's not in the game for you um so i i thought that helped uh, the browns cause a little bit in that regard but you know you could see some of the things that that jerome did and i think especially because they're so tough in the mid up the middle um that it just lends itself to really really good running performances. I mean, they ran, they rushed for 198 yards. Again, part of that's cam out part of it's, they have some deficiencies over there now at linebacker and some other spots. Um, but I think the Browns are going to be okay running the ball. And I made this point um, somewhere else today. And that is there are certain players on the team that I don't think it would be easy to replace at all and get, and get similar production. And that would be like, 
Miles Garrett. If Miles Garrett left the lineup, you're going to have a hard time trying to find 16 sacks in a season out of the next guy. But if you plug in Jerome Ford or you plug in someone else, there's a darn good chance that if you keep handing him the football behind this offensive line, he's going to have a number of 100-yard games, especially because in most games, you're not going to have the kind of pass rush that you get from T.J. Watt and Alex Heisman. Most of the time, you're, you're not going to have that to worry about as much. So it might even be, uh, in, in some cases, easier uh, to churn out the yards that you're going to have to churn out. And Jerome Ford, we haven't seen a ton of this yet, uh, but he can also catch the ball out of the backfield. He went out and caught a three-yard touchdown uh, pass right after Nick went out. So we know he's got good hands. And, you know, they've been seeing these things in him in practice since last year. They've been excited to see what he can do. And even though they are out there looking for a Cam Akers or someone else that can come in here, I still think they are ready to throw the keys to the Ford. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe the pun was intended a little bit. But we, um, we laughed. Ashley and I were just muted. Yeah, we I could see you guys. I, I, I <laughs> could see you on this mute, the, just howling back there. To know. We did not leave the stadium until like 4 a.m. last night. So this is like loopy laughter at a pun that, that happens like when you've been up all night at a sleepover. That's how I view that joke. Yeah. And, and not only that, like my dad, my late father would have so told that joke. And you know what? I just, I have to keep the legacy alive. Okay. So that's a joke. That was a joke habit kind of a line. Um, but yeah, so he, you know, you would say you got a, I got a, I got a haircut and he would say, Oh, you did which one? So, you know, that was my dad and you know, it just, it lent itself, Jerome Ford lent itself to that right now. But anyways, so therefore I think once again, I am not denigrating what Nick Chubb has done in his career by any stretch. I think he probably is the best pure runner in the NFL. But I think they can effectively get the running game accomplished even without him. It's probably heresy to say that. But I think they can do it. Whereas you take another position off the field like starting quarterback, although I know he's having his issues right now, um, or, or a Miles Garrett, and it would be very, very difficult to get the same kind of job done. I, I really, I, I only have like two questions about Jerome Ford. I feel like what we saw last night, I wonder if that's going to be the Jerome Ford experience, which is sort of like, you know, a boomer bus type runner. Like there might be three or four runs where it's like, okay, a yard, two yards. And then he hits that one cutback and it's like a 40 yard run, which is fine. Like y'all, yeah, I love 40 yard runs. The really big question, though, is can he can he handle, let's say, 15 carries over 15 games? I'm not doing this math off the top of my head. I actually did it on my – I used my calculator on, on my phone. 225 carries. Like, can Jerome, Ford, can Jerome Ford hold up with 225 carries and doing blitz pickups and doing all the physical things that a running back has to do? Those are the questions I have about Jerome Ford. I think he can do the job, and I think that big play ability is there. Um, but I – 
you know, we'll see. This is his opportunity. And and one quick note too, um, this also means that the Browns uh Pierre Strong was the kick returner yesterday, which, of course, was Jerome Ford's job. He's not going to be doing that anymore. And special teams, ooh, it was it was rough last night, and the return game didn't offer much. Go ahead, Ashley. No, I just wanted to say, like, in terms of Jerome's stats, because I did do the numbers last night. Um, you know, he finished with 106 yards on 16 carries yesterday. Prior to Monday night, last year and week one this year, he had combined 84 rushing yards on 38 carries in his NFL career. So he eclipsed his career yard total last night already. But that kind of gives you an idea of what we're talking about, like the difference in in workload here from a numbers standpoint, even though everyone obviously knows what that looks like visually from seeing him play behind Nick Chubb. Now, the other thing about his, his totals last night, and again, you, you know, you can't, uh, you know, you can't dismiss a a long run like that because that's what you expect these guys to do. You want them to hit those home runs like that. Um, but if you do take out the 69 yard run, which I know, you know, you shouldn't really do that, but uh, you know, on his other 15 runs, he only totaled 37 yards for a little bit over two yards per carry. And as Dan was mentioning, it, it could be like a boomer bust proposition where you just have, you know, some of these, um, you know, shorter runs and then you, and then you hit the home run. But the other thing about Jerome Ford to remember, and I think this is vitally important. And I think it applies to a number of guys on this football team right now. He missed almost all of training camp. And I'm huge on that. You guys, you hear me harping on it all the time. And why do I harp on it? Because over my a million years of covering this team, I've seen so many guys struggle that missed most or all of training camp. They really have a hard time getting it back together as soon as they possibly can. And sometimes in the early part of the season, they're just not themselves yet. I think that's going on right now with a number of players. Marquise Goodwin, Harrison Bryant, you know, Jerome Ford to a certain extent. So I think as he goes along over the next few weeks, he will even start to get his, you know, game conditioning and game shape back more so than he has it right at the moment. And, you know, I think he should be okay, especially if they bring somebody else in who's pretty good. Okay, let's get a break. And then we have to talk about the topic that, well, we can't avoid it any longer. The topic that I think everyone uh, wants to hear about. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. All right, going through three big things. We've talked the running backs, and now it's time to go down this road. I'm a little nervous about Deshaun Watson at this point. It's eight starts. We're two games into the season. The Steelers have a good pass rush. There, there, there's reasons that maybe Deshaun might have struggled yesterday, but. I'm, you know, I'm not to the point where I'm going to write him off, but I got to tell you, Mary Kay, I'm a little nervous after that performance because we've sort of been able to use like the excuses of, well, he was suspended, you know, for 11 games last year, had to come back and get in in the middle of the season. The weather was bad in a bunch of games, including in week one. There were some concerning things yesterday, and we can certainly point to reasons outside of Deshaun for some of those things. But there were missed throws. It just felt like it, it felt like he wasn't comfortable in the pocket. It was a lot of the things that we've seen in the previous seven games. But 
last night was still very much kind of a no excuses sort of night for him, I thought, and especially after Nick Chubb went out. You really need your franchise quarterback to be your franchise quarterback. And it was it was tough last night. So, you know, I'm not going to come on here and declare the Deshaun Watson experiment dead. There's 15 games left this season. The guy's got a five-year contract. This thing isn't going to end anytime soon. But I'm a little concerned with where things stand right now and kind of how long this has taken to sort of turn around and get him going in the right direction. And last night, here we were again. He was kind of standing at that podium talking about, like, still kind of trying to get his footing back, which you got Tennessee coming in. They've got a pretty good front. Uh, San Francisco's coming in a couple weeks. You know, we know how good they are. Heck, Jadavion Clowney's coming to town. He's going to want to wreak havoc uh, on this team in week four. I, I don't know. I, I'm just... I'm a, I think everyone, I'm not alone in this, came away from that game at the very least concerned about what they saw from Deshaun Watson. Yes, and I think one of the, the biggest concerns is that he's not protecting the football. I mean, he lost two fumbles and threw an interception yesterday. Now, the interception went off of Harrison Bryant's hands. And I think Deshaun was trying to say after the game that, um, you know, hey, you know, we need to share the load on that a little bit. I'll take the blame, but there is some culpability here elsewhere. Um, but in terms of, you know, the fumbles and some of the other things that we've seen, um, he, he's got to protect the football. I think he's facing tougher defenses up here in the AFC North than he has ever before. Um, this He is now 0-3 against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it's something to keep an eye on. Because look at Joe Burrow's record against the Cleveland Browns, now 1-5, and five, right? So you've got Deshaun going 0-3 against the Steelers. And that's in large part, especially yesterday, because of the two ferocious guys out on the edge, Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt, going against young offensive tackles, Dewan, who was starting his first game at right tackle in place of Jack Conklin, and then Jed. And, you know, and Jed normally would get some chipping help, but he didn't get help on Alex Highsmith. And Alex is no slouch. We talked about that last week a number of times. He had 14 and a half sacks last year, five forced fumbles, and those two guys worked in concert. And you just can't ship, chip everybody. So I think the fact that uh, those two guys uh, were overmatched by these pass rushers, for the most part, um, not on every down. DeWan, I mean, DeWan had a pretty nice game. Uh, you know, down for down, but TJ and Alex, they're going to, they're going to get their game wrecking plays in if you're not careful. And I think that that did not help Deshaun Watson's cause during this particular game. He had to get the ball out very quickly. I'm sure that was in his head. And then when Nick Chubb went out, I felt he started to press and I felt he started to do too much and take on too much of the responsibility thinking, oh my gosh, now what are we going to do? We are rock is not in this game anymore. Um, so I don't know. He disagreed with me on that. He didn't think he was pressing. Uh, I thought he not only was pressing, but he, I thought he lost his composure uh, with the two face masks and kind of, you know, casting aside the official, which he got, he did not get in trouble for that. I mean, they said that did not rise to the level of making contact with an official. They considered it to be incidental, not some kind of a, you know, an aggressive, aggressive act. Um, so he did not, he's not facing any kind of a suspension for anything like that. But 
to turn the ball over that many times and to get those kind of penalties, you're not control in control of yourself and you're not in control of the football game. And I didn't have a whole bunch of confidence when he took over with two something left in the game that he was going to be able to go down and execute the two minute drill. I, I just didn't have, you know, a, a ton of thoughts that this is going to go in the Browns favor. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that last point too, Mary Kate. Like, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said, but to that last point, like when he came out for that two minute drill, my first thought was, Hey, he leads this team on a game winning drive. Like it's sort of an all is forgiven sort of thing. You played like crap for 58 minutes, but now you led the team on a game winning drive. And guess what? You're two and oh, that's all that matters. But I didn't have a ton of confidence um, that that was going to happen either. I was with you. And the composure thing is interesting because I've never seen a quarterback get called for two face masks <laughs> and uh, like, and they were legit. Like it wasn't ticky tack. Now I know that the refs missed a pretty obvious face mask on him earlier in the game as well. And and that would have offset a holding penalty on that play. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree that there was a loss of composure there. And Ashley, he, he said there wasn't, and he kind of tried to explain away those face mask penalties, but I don't know. I've, I've seen, lots of quarterbacks stiff arm guys and do things like that. And they're not grabbing face masks and throwing them to yeah. the ground. I do think there was, I do yeah. think there's something there. And I mean, even the thing with the ref, like I, and I know, like Mary Kay said, he, there's not going to be any discipline for that, but it's like, if you want to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, you can't be doing that kind of stuff, especially in a close game. I mean, not at all, but especially in that scenario, like I just don't really think there's any excuse for it. I think it's stupid mistakes. I think I said that last night and, and some people on Twitter were like, but his finger got caught. It's like, well, how many guys is this happening to? You know what I mean? It's like, it just is not a smart football play. And even like the way he was talking last night, like I'm, I'm a little concerned, you know, and, and I'm, I'm concerned just because of obviously how much they put into him. And now because of, you know, the losing the aspect of losing a key player in Nick Chubb, but I don't know. It's just, it's tough to kind of really get a feel for where he is right now and and how many of these problems are easily fixable. And I know he talks about wanting to get better, like 1% at a time and and all that stuff. And and that's kind of player or coach speak, which is fine, but like they need him to get a lot better, a lot quicker than 1% increments at a time right now, because he is not playing like a top quarterback in the league. And I agree with a lot of what Mary Kay said about the running game and, and it's not like the sky is falling, even though it might feel like it is when a player like Nick Chubb goes down. But this is not, I think, what anyone envisioned that this was going to look like. And it was tough even to hear him last night talk about like, well, we don't have to talk like I need to give them a better ball. And like, we don't have to talk about the route running or like the play calls or, or whatever. He said, like, he kind of like said it without saying it. And I don't know how I felt about that either, actually, last night. Yeah, it was just it was just weird, you know? And like, again, I'm not, I, I think there are probably people on Twitter who are ready to like call it a day with him. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not there yet, but this is the first time that I feel a little shaky about whether we're going to see Houston Deshaun Watson again. Um, if maybe that guy is just gone. I, I mean, that would be crazy to think about, but this, this is the first time where I've gotten a little bit shaken as far as what I think he can be for this football team. And Mary Kay, the thing about it is if this team doesn't, if they aren't winning and Deshaun is struggling, 
there is some potential there for things to get a little ugly, you know, because all of a sudden now the fingers start to point at Kevin. And, you know, if you're one and three, one and four, two and four, whatever it is, and you're you're not playing well as a quarterback, like, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that he's going to go up there in a press conference and throw Kevin under the bus necessarily, but like it can create discord in that building between your quarterback and play caller. And that's when things really go off the rails. And and so they've got to get this figured out. Yeah, they do have to get this figured out. But I was just thinking about something uh, as we were talking here. And that is, I, I do think that the adjustment to uh, the AFC North with, you know, with the climate and the defenses uh, and just the caliber of the teams and the other qu- quarterbacks that you're going against, I think, you know, I just think it's a level up from what he's used to. But think about this. He gets to feel right at home coming up this season. Uh, he's beginning with Sunday's game. He's going to be facing his AFC South foes this season in the Jaguars, the Colts, the Titans, and the Texans. And what a better way for Deshaun Watson to get his confidence back and feel comfortable again than to play all of those football teams that he, uh, you know, he made a career off of, you know, making it to the Pro Bowl against. And, you know, some of those teams are different, but these are not the juggernauts for the most part of the NFL. I mean, you know, they're really not right now. So, you know, I think he's going to have an opportunity over the next, um, you know, the next part of the season now, not right away. He's got Baltimore coming up and he's got San Francisco coming up, but he's got Tennessee. These are the next like five or six games, Tennessee, Baltimore, San Francisco, Indianapolis, Seattle, Arizona. Uh, and then later on in the season, he hits Jacksonville and, and Houston in the, the last four or five games. But I, I think you're going to see a different Deshaun Watson playing against AFC South where the opponents were not as tough. And the weather was way, way better. So he has got to elevate his game to be able to hang up here in the AFC North. Okay, one more break here, and then we're going to do some final thoughts. All right, welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, our post-game pod, a little while after the game ended uh, here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Tuesday. Um, Okay, Final thoughts. Anybody have anything? I'm th- I mean, I was thinking about the defense. Can, can I just talk about the defense? So for all of that, for everything we talked about with Deshaun Watson and the, the offensive struggles, this defense was really good again last night. Um, you know, George Pickens got a big play off of them, but, you know, we saw Grant Delpit get an interception. Uh, this defense was really, really good again. And it's just got me thinking that if they can just get this offense to like sea level, just keep it there. This team can ride its defense to the playoffs at least. Now, can they ride them to the AFC championship game? Can they ride them to the Super Bowl? No, you've got to have your quarterback and your offense come through for you. But if this defense is really going to be this good and this pass rush is really going to be this good, I think this team still can make the playoffs, even if Deshaun Watson doesn't become the guy they want him to, to become. He's got to level up if they really want to win big but I think this defense is good enough to carry this team into January football and maybe even win a playoff game or two. I, I have been blown away 
even last night, I, I was just blown away by what this defense did. Pittsburgh could not move the football against them for the most part. Uh, so a really impressive performance from them. Uh, who wants to go next? Well, I just want to comment on that real quick because yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%, Dan. This defense is as advertised. And I think there are going to be so many uh, Pro Bowl type performances coming out of uh, these defensive players this year. They they really are extremely extremely good, and I I just think most offenses are really really going to struggle, and most offensive lines are not going to be able to manage or handle the Browns' own version of Alex Highsmith and T.J. Watt, and that's Miles and Z and Obo and those guys. I still think that. Um, that they're going to play really well. It's sustainable, and I think they're going to get better and better throughout the season. And, um, you know, if uh, you know if they get the running game going, which they will, then I, I still do think that um, the future for this season looks pretty bright. Okay, who's next? Yeah, mine. I mean, my idea was kind of similar to yours, but I guess more on like a micro scale, like. Part of the reason why I was so impressed with, like, what this defense did, and, like, it's both good and bad, right? Because they did it without, like, a super dominating performance from Miles Garrett. Like, Miles didn't have a sack. I think he had, what, like, one tackle, Mary Kay, when we were looking at the stats earlier yeah. today. Right. And, like, last year it felt like they couldn't get any help for him. And this year it felt like, or this game, I should say, it felt like they were still dominant even without him having that kind of, like, over-the-top performance. Now, it's unfortunate because, like, you would like to see that for Miles still, too, right? Like, you want those two things to be happening in tandem. But I think, like, it's still really encouraging to see that they were able to be productive without overly leaning on Miles Garrett. Now, with the caveat being, like, I would like to see Miles Garrett step up more. And, like, he's going to have to if he wants to be a defensive player of the year. And, and T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith put on a show last night in terms of the kind of splashy plays that you need in primetime games to make that happen. Yeah. Miles, Miles wants that DPOY right now. I think he's probably a little bit down the list, so he's got, he's got a little bit of work to do, but um, still 15 games to do it. Uh, Mary Kay, what do you have? Um, I'm going to make two quick points here. And that yep. is number one, um, you know, it's overreaction Tuesday and you know, I, I think there are a lot of fans out there that are thinking, you know, the sky is falling because the Browns lost a football game. But if they go out and they beat the Titans at home and the Baltimore Ravens at home, they actually have three straight home games coming up. Uh, then San Francisco comes in after the bye. Um, so if they can get through this home stretch with winning at least two of these games, you know, maybe both of these games before the bye, if they're sitting at three and one at the bye, I think all of us heading into the season would have thought, okay, that's, you know, that's good. That's what they, that's exactly where they would want to be. So I think things will look a lot different um, in the next two weeks if they can pull it together and win those games. And then the other thought that I have uh, rattling around in my brain is they have to hope that Elijah Moore is everything that they thought he was going to be. And these are, again, good defenses they're playing, but they put a lot of eggs in that basket. And, you know, he's supposed to be the receiver that, you know, that they kind of, you know, showcased in the offseason to come in here and be all the things that Deshaun needed 
uh, to run his game effectively and, um, you know, to, to improvise and, and to run all the whatever, you know, jet sweeps and the Debo Samuel plays and, um, you know, inside, outside, all the things that we've seen Elijah Moore do. And so far, defenses are, are kind of playing him really tough and getting very physical with him. And, um, I think they have to, I think they have to figure out a way to maximize the talents and ability of Elijah, Elijah Moore in order for this offense to go where they, they want it to go. Okay. Uh, good stuff there, uh, here on a Tuesday, our post-game podcast, <laughs> Ashley mentioned it. We left the press box on Monday night, uh, Tuesday morning at about 4 a.m. Uh, actually, we're recording this at 3.45, so less than 12 hours ago. We were in the press box in Pittsburgh still. So uh, appreciate everyone's patience. I know there were a lot of people waiting for this post-game podcast. I saw some tweets and uh, a couple textures, I think, asked us about it too. So we appreciate your patience. We wanted to be able to come back and give you a good podcast, not a groggy uh, kind of overreaction to, to what we saw in Pittsburgh. So I mentioned our texting. Uh, those are football insiders. You go to cleveland.com slash browns and click the blue banner at the top of the page there to become a texter, get access to those stories at cleveland.com slash browns behind the paywall, and also get a newsletter every day. Find us on YouTube. Uh, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. Uh, we do. We had a post-game stand-up yesterday that went up pretty much right after the game. Uh, shorts, all sorts of stuff there. And then also find us on Instagram. Search Orange and Brown Talk uh, for that. All right. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.